You know, it's the details in life that'll get you every time. What I was saying was that those were announcements. That was really fantastic. Not one bad joke in sight, not one knock on the pencils or the cards, just class act all the way. Man, we appreciate that around here, don't we, folks? Before I forget, I do want to thank uh, a group. So everybody you saw on stage and folks in the back of the room, they came here this Wednesday night, and they rewired this entire room, things that you can't see, will never see, but makes this whole operation work. They were here till 11 p.m., away from their families. They missed dinner after a long day of work. So just, let's just give them a round of applause. I mean, we, you know, we forget that these things have wires attached to them, and so they just did so much work, and I'm just so appreciative of everything they've done. So thank you guys. Um, if it is your first time here, welcome. The, we are in, let me just get this right, I'm afraid I'm going to smash these. You know, it's like once you break one light on a Christmas strand, they never work again, so I don't want to break that. But we are in week two of this series called The Same Old Thing. It's our Christmas series. And I was talking about this idea that, well, I personally love Christmas. I love the gifts and the songs and the decorations and all that kind of a thing, but when it comes to sort of the Christmas message, so to speak, this, the message of Jesus and his birth, I think if we're being honest with ourselves, we've let it go a little stale. Um, we hear it every single year. Every church in America does it. Every church in the world has done it. And we've done it for thousands of years at this point. And I think we kind of go on autopilot when it comes to this month, particularly with church and this story. We go, yeah, Mary, Jesus, manger, gifts. We get the whole thing. Let's keep moving on. Let's get to Christmas and New Year's and that kind of a thing. And so my hope was for this month to just kind of hit pause, to hit the reset, to tap the brakes and say, all right, maybe we know the story really well, but let's just deliberately kind of hit pause and try to relearn some of the truths that we may have forgotten and maybe pick up a couple of truths that we didn't know along the way. And every single week, we're going to be hitting on a particular character in the Christmas story and asking the question, who are they? How were they involved? What did they do in this story? And, and because it's DHC, what practically can we learn from them? Last week, we talked about Mary, talk, talked about this idea that in life, we have plans, and every once in a while, God throws a curveball at you, something you're not expecting. Find yourself in a situation you never would have asked for, a situation you never planned for, and, and the reality is that you've got to make a decision, and you've got to figure out what to do. And so all last week, we talked about what should our response be when God kind of changes your plans. This week, I want to talk about the shepherds. Now, the shepherds are my favorite characters in this story, outside of Jesus. It's kind of one of those things you have to say, outside of Jesus, of course. But these are great characters because there's a lot going on with these guys. And there's way more going on than meets the eye. And so when we're talking about these shepherds, I think a lot of us think about the songs we hear, but a lot of us have been to Christmas pageants or Christmas plays. And, and when we kind of generate these ideas of what a shepherd looks like, we think, well, it's a bunch of kids with sheets on this is kind of this, you know, it's this bucolic thing where these, these gentle little kids and sheets, and it's the kind of, you know, we don't really know how many, you know, she, you know, shepherds there were, so it's like if your kid doesn't really have a part in the play, make him a shepherd, put a different color on him, and he's good to go, stick him in the back. And this is kind of how we picture these shepherds. Maybe they were kids. No, they weren't kids. But when you actually go and you research what a shepherd was actually like and what they looked like and how they behaved, the picture that's painted by scripture and by history actually looks a little bit more like this guy. Now, I don't know if you know who this guy is. This is Tony Beats. Tony Beats is from the show Gold Rush on Discovery. Love that show. It's getting a little tired now, but it's a great show. And the thing about Tony Beats and the thing about these shepherds is that they were rough characters. 
They were rough around the edges. These were guys who lived out in the wilderness. They really hung around with no civilized people outside of their own group, and, and they were dirty, and they worked hard, and they worked with their hands. And if you've seen this show, you know that Tony Beats has masterfully been able to use a curse word, basically every other word. It's really a gift that he's gotten fantastic at. I've never seen a man be able to weave a tapestry of obscenities like this man does. And I just picture, and I have no idea if the shepherds cursed, but I just like to think about the idea that the shepherds were cursing at sheep because I would be cursing at sheep. I mean, I don't know if you've seen them, but they're just not the smartest animals, according to what I've read. And I just picture these guys out there, and they're filthy, and they're just cursing up a storm. When you see this picture, and you look at this guy, and you realize, all right, that's what the shepherds actually looked like, yeah, I was asking myself the question, well, how did a guy like Tony Beats, okay, how did a guy like this become a central figure in the birth story of Jesus? So without further ado, let's kind of jump in and find out. This week we are in Luke chapter 2. We're going to be in and around verses 6 through 20. You can follow along in your Bibles if you want, but it's going to be up here. So just to catch you up to speed chronologically as to where this falls into place in the story. Last week, we talked about Mary and how she was told she was going to have this child, Jesus. This story takes place at least nine months later. Let's call it nine months because she and Joseph are now in Bethlehem little town of Bethlehem, and she's about to have the child. So it says this, and while they were there, this is Mary and Joseph, the time came for her baby to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him in snugly, she wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for them. Manger, I don't know if you know this, but a manger is actually a feeding trough. It's where pigs and goats and sheep would actually eat out of. I think a lot of people don't realize that. Continues on. That night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified. So last week, we talked about this idea that Mary was also terrified. Often, we see people in the Bible, when they meet up with angels, they are terrified. And because we've heard this story so many times, it's become the same old thing, we forget, as we did last week, that they are involved with something supernatural. Meeting an angel in life is not a normal occurrence. I haven't met one. I don't think you guys have met one. It is not a normal occurrence. And as we touched on last week, Angels don't look the way that we think angels look. They are not pretty men and women with wings and and harps. They are not chubby babies with bows and arrows. They are big, large, imposing figures. The Bible describes them as warlike and sometimes even otherworldly looking. So they're scary. And so as the angel did last week with Mary, they do again this week, and they say, don't be afraid. You you don't need to be afraid of, of us. I know we look like this or whatever the case may be, but you don't need to be afraid. He continues and says, I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. So I think the other reason that the shepherds were afraid, other than the fact that the angels appeared out of nowhere, is that the shepherds were the kind of guys, and maybe you're like this in your own life, they're the kind of guys that would say something along the lines of, if I step into a church, the roof is going to collapse. If I, if I get anywhere near that place, trust me, it's not going to be good. And I think the reason these guys were afraid is because the way that they lived their life and the way that the, 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 the world talked to them, they figured that if God is showing up to them, if God is sending angels to speak to them, it can't be good. 
This cannot be good news that they have. So why would they feel this way? Why would they be afraid of seeing angels? Why were they convinced that the roof would collapse if they walked into a church? So the first thing you have to understand is that when we're talking about these shepherds, they were what is known as being spiritually unclean. So back at this time, uh, for the Jewish people during this time, they would live in essentially two states. You could be clean or you could be unclean. And if you obeyed by all the rules and all the regulations, all the things that you read in the Old Testament, if you ate the proper food, if you skipped the improper food, if you had the right job, if you hung around with the right people, if you avoided certain people, if you did all the things that were expected of you, and you did it right, and you did it perfectly, you were clean. And you were found to be worthy of God. But if you couldn't do all the rules, if you couldn't do X, Y, and Z, or A, B, C, D, E, F, G, all those things, if you couldn't accomplish those things, then you were said to be unclean. And because the shepherds worked with animals, because the shepherds were dirty, because they were around dead carcasses, I guess carcasses are always dead. If you're around carcasses, okay, if you were around manure, you were considered to be unclean and not worthy of God. And so because they were unclean, a couple of things couldn't happen. Number one, they couldn't go to the temple. They couldn't go to church. They weren't allowed to actually even walk in the doors because of the spiritual state they were in. And because you couldn't go to the temple, they couldn't partake in a sacrifice. So the chief priest in that temple, he would sacrifice a lamb. There would be the shedding of blood for the sins. And if you went to the temple and you were there for that ceremony, you were forgiven of your sins. But because these guys were out there and they were dirty, they couldn't go in. So they never had their sins forgiven. Because they couldn't go to the temple, they couldn't read the scripture. They didn't have their own Bible. They didn't have their Old Testament. They couldn't read these things. So they really had no clue what was going on. They couldn't participate, they couldn't participate in holy days. Like we have Christmas and Easter. They had a bunch of things that they really couldn't participate in at all. And lastly, because they were unclean, they really had no relationship with God whatsoever. In their minds, they just felt like God didn't even know their name. Furthermore, what I learned is that they actually had no civil rights. They couldn't testify in court, and they were considered to be thieves. Generally, they had a lot of suspicion around these guys, the shepherds, and they thought they're thieves. Jewish law actually stated that no one should feel obligated to rescue a shepherd who has fallen into a pit. My first reaction when I read this was, how many pits are around that people are just kind of falling into them? That, you know what I mean? I was like, and, and so, this is happening so frequently that they said, hey, we're going to get this one on the books. Listen, a shepherd, do not pick that guy out. It's not going to end well. We just avoid it altogether. Now, I did find something positive about the shepherds because there was a couple of good things about them. So apparently in the job of a shepherd, there's a lot of downtime. I don't know if you have downtime in your own work, but because they had a lot of downtime, they would become excellent musicians. Apparently, many of them would take up playing the flute, okay? They were excellent flautists or flutists, whatever the case may be, and, and so they, they were fantastic at it. And I was thinking about this. This really should make you feel better for watching Netflix at work because you know you do. We all watch Netflix with the downtime. If you don't know who this guy is, by the way, maybe you do, just do yourself a favor. As soon as church is done, go on YouTube and just Google weird flute guy, and it will change your life. I'm telling you, it is so good. You just have to go and watch this. So the angels, they show up to these guys who are, you know, practicing their flutes, and they say, I bring you good news. 
that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. It goes on. And you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth, lying in a manger. So you think about these guys. You think you got a picture of Tony Beats in your head. They're, these, they're, they're unclean. They, they, they're on the outskirts of society. And, and it just, you think about the fact that God has really what amounts to being the most important announcement the world has ever heard that the Savior has arrived, that God himself is being born into this world, that he's taking on flesh, and you think he's making this announcement to these guys? It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense that God would go to these men who were unclean, who couldn't go to church, who really had no relationship with God whatsoever, that he's bringing this most important announcement to them. You would think, well, logically, wouldn't it make more sense if you went to, I don't know, the chief priests, sort of the guys in charge, or, or maybe the king, or even the rich and powerful people who once who got this news could share it and really make an impact in society. Wouldn't that make more sense? So I think God knows we would ask these questions, and, and he says, oh, if you think that's confusing, let me just up the ante here for a second, because I'm, he's like, I'm not done with this announcement yet. It says, at once, the angel, that one angel, was joined by a huge angelic choir singing God's praises, glory to God in the heavenly heights, peace to all men and women on earth who please him. And, and there's some discussion about whether or not these angels actually sing or we're just talking. But whatever the case may be, I just think it's so fascinating that these men who were essentially abandoned by society, abandoned by religion, are getting the greatest show that the world has ever, ever seen. And as I was looking at this week, I go, this is just so out of the norm. This is so out of the ordinary. There's got to be something going on here. God is, has to be teaching us something in this moment. And so what we have to tackle today is to answer the question, why start Jesus' story with the shepherd? Why begin this whole thing with these men, these dirty men who were out there, who've been put out to pasture, so to speak? So there's a couple of reasons. The first reason is that I believe that God wanted to let us know that the message of Jesus is for everyone. It's actually for every single person. What he's saying in this is that it doesn't matter who you are, what's going on in your life, what issues have been going on, the ups and the downs you've had. It doesn't matter what society says about you, what you've said about yourself, what your local church or temple or maybe even mosque has said about who you are, the things that you've done. He's saying that God is for you. Jesus is for you. And this is a banner that Jesus would wave his entire life. This is something that Jesus would proclaim his entire life on this earth. In fact, one day in Jesus' life, he walks into the temple. And in the audience were a bunch of religious leaders. There were rabbis. There were these men called Pharisees who were part of the religious elite. And Jesus walks up to the front of the room. And he opens up the Bible. And he opens up to Isaiah, someone in the Old Testament. And he reads this to the men. And he says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. And it says that he, he shut the book. 
And he looks up at these guys in the audience who are just watching him read this. And he says to them, the scripture you've just heard has been fulfilled this very day. It's kind of like a mic drop. And the crowd went wild and not in a good way. They wanted to kill Jesus for what he just said, but all he was saying here and all he was reading is that he was just echoing the very message that God said from the very first Christmas night, and it's this. You're not too low, too insignificant, or too forgotten for God to know you and for God to love you. That was the message of Jesus his entire life. I think the other reason that God sent this message, this glorious message to those shepherds is that they would be the only people who would truly recognize redemption. Let me explain what I mean here. So logic would tell you, as we discussed in the beginning, logic would tell you that a message of such importance, the the coming of a king, the king of kings, God himself, one would think that, that you should bring this message to a king. That would seem the most logical decision. This man has great power. But think about this logically. Would a reigning king actually be happy to hear about a new king being born? Someone being described as the king of king, the holy of holies? No, this is not good news to a reigning king. In fact, next week, we're going to talk about when King Herod heard about this news and what his reaction is. So God said, no, 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 no. Can't bring this news to a king. It's not good. You might say, well, what about the religious leaders? these people who studied the scripture, these people who knew what a Messiah would be, wouldn't it really make sense to bring this to the men who are running the temple, the men who really understand the things of God? Well, the issue with the particular men of God, these religious leaders at this particular time, is that they were very self-righteous, extremely self-righteous. They, they, in fact, would expect this message to be brought to them. They thought so highly of themselves, they felt entitled to this kind of news that we are so good, we have it all together, we do everything right, unlike you, that God should, need, and must bring this kind of message to us. And yet God knew that if he brought this message to these guys, they wouldn't respond. Because they, they thought they were so good and so holy, they thought they were too good to actually need a Savior. And it was these men who actually made the shepherds feel like garbage. Jesus, one time in his ministry, had an interaction with these spiritual leaders. He wanted to have dinner one night with a tax collector. They were groups of people back then that were hated as much as the shepherds. The Pharisees, these religious leaders, found out that Jesus was actually having dinner with these guys, and they said this. Check this out. But the Pharisees and their teachers of the religious law complained bitterly to Jesus' disciples. They go, why do you eat and drink with such scum? I mean, imagine religious leaders, Jews, talking about fellow Jews and saying, what are you doing hanging out with the scum of the earth? Jesus replied, healthy people, they don't need a doctor. Sick people do. And I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners and need to repent. So what Jesus is saying here is he goes, Guys, listen, every single one of you, every single person on this earth is sick. You're all sinners, whether you realize it or not. And I have come for the sinners. But there's a problem, because you spiritual leaders, you think you're so good, you think you got it all together, you think you're so elite, you are blind to the fact that you are so far from God. 
So God, on that cold Christmas night, he didn't go to the king, he didn't go to the religious leaders. God said that he would go to the sick. He would do something in a way that would make everyone's heads spin, that would be a game changer, that would make them question everything. He goes, I'm going to send the Messiah, Jesus, my son, God in the flesh, not to a palace, not to the temple, but to an unclean barn, to unclean people, because I need to reach people who think they're not good enough to be saved, and I'm not wasting my time with people who think they're too good to need saving. And God was right. His choice was correct. And those shepherds, they responded. Check this out. When the angels had returned to heaven, after the song was done, the shepherds said to each other, let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. They wasted no time. They hurried to the village, and they found Mary and Joseph. Because in that moment, when God left them, they, they, they knew something special happened. They knew in that moment they were being offered something that they didn't deserve because all of their life, they couldn't go to church. They couldn't go to the temple. They couldn't benefit from the sacrifices. They couldn't hear the scripture being read. They couldn't have their sins forgiven. And in that moment, God showed them that he was for them that he would go to them even though they were not allowed to go to him. And they said yes. And they said yes. And everything changed for them. The last reason that I believe that God went to the shepherds that night is something that I believe is almost magical in a way. It's because these men would truly be the only people that would understand the significance of what was happening that night. So the shepherds, while they were considered lowly, while they were considered unclean, they were outcasts, they were looked down upon, they actually had a very important job. These particular shepherds in this story were charged with guarding what are known as the temple flocks. So at the temple, as I talked about, they would do a sacrifices there, and they would sacrifice lambs. Well, these lambs were the very sheep and the very lambs that these shepherds guarded. And I just think it's ironic that because these men guarded these particular sheep, they couldn't benefit from the sacrifice that these sheep offered. And part of their job as a shepherd, while they were out there in the fields, is they had to keep close watch for what was known as the firstborn male. So sheep apparently, learned this this week, have two lambs at once. Two of them come out at once. And these shepherds had to keep close watch to make sure and find out which one came out first, and if that was a male. And if their firstborn male came out first, they would mark it, and immediately they would run to the temple, the outskirts, they would flag the priest, and they would let him know the sacrificial lamb has arrived. He, he, he's good to go. We, we've got it. And I was just reading this, and I was thinking to myself, you know, it's amazing the way that God weaves these stories together in the Bible. Because I heard this, and I thought, isn't it poetic? Isn't it poetic that... The very shepherds who guarded the sacrificial lambs were the first to greet the Lamb of God. That they knew that night when they got this news, when they ran to that stable and they saw Jesus, they knew that something has changed. They knew that the era of you know, sacrificing what ended up being animals, imperfect sacrifices, was now coming to a close. Because Jesus is here 
The Messiah is here. The perfect sacrifice, as the scripture calls. And all their life, they never got to benefit from the sacrifice of sins. But they knew that day, because God went to them, and they looked into the eyes of Messiah, that they finally would have their sins forgiven. And as protocol dictated, as they would run to the priest and tell him the firstborn male has been born, didn't stop him this night, did the same thing. And they said, after seeing him, after they saw Mary's firstborn son, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. And all who heard the shepherd's story were astonished. So what's practical? What do you do with a message like this? So every week at DHC, if it's your first time here, we put this word on the screen because we want to make sure you guys can leave on a Sunday and know exactly what to do with what you've heard. So the first practical is this. Understand that no one is too far away from God. I think that's really the point of this whole story that no matter what is going on in your life, no matter what you've done, what mistakes you've made, what society says about you, what your family says about you, what maybe even the local church has told you about yourself, you need to understand that God sent Jesus into this world to prove that he came for you. No matter what's going on, you are never too far away from God. The shepherds their whole life, they felt like God never knew their name, never knew their existence, and he went to them. So I would just say this Christmas, as you're kind of thinking about this story, singing the songs, I would just challenge you to respond, just like they did. Respond to this call that Jesus came for you. Now, maybe you hear this kind of a story, and you don't necessarily resonate with the shepherds. Maybe you've got your act together, so to speak. Part of the problem with being a Christian for a very long time is that one of the benefits of saying yes to Jesus is that God cleans up your act. He turns you into a new person. And when you've lived a life for Jesus so long and your life has become something so different and so much better, many times we forget who we used to be. We often kind of look down on newer Christians for the things they're doing and saying, and we look down perhaps on other people for what's going on in their lives. So I would just challenge you today, remember your roots. Remember where you came from. Remember that you only are the way you are because of what God did in your life. Paul, one of the New Testament authors, talks about this. He's talking to Christians, and he says this, brothers and sisters, DHC people, whatever you want to say, think about who you were when the Lord called you. Not many of you were wise or powerful or born into the family of leaders of a country. But God has chosen what the world calls foolish to shame the wise. He has chosen what the world calls weak to shame what is strong. God has chosen what is weak and foolish of the world, what is hated and not known, to destroy the things that the world trusts in. And in that way, no man can be proud as he stands before God. See, what God saw with those Pharisees and those religious leaders so long ago was, was religious people thinking they got it all together, thinking that they're perfect, that, they, that they're doing these things right, and he's not interested. He wasn't interested back then. He's not interested now. He doesn't want to hear about spiritual bragging. He doesn't want to think about how much you know and how good you are. He came for the sick. He came for people who recognized their true standing in God's eyes. That we all need a Savior. That none of us truly have it all together. That's what impresses God. 
a contrite heart who realizes why Jesus came for this earth. Remember, it's Christmas season. The message of Jesus is for every single person. That's why the shepherds are such an integral part of this whole story. Because really, every single one of us is like that in our life at some point or another. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for what you did so many years ago on that Christmas night. Lord, that you absolutely changed the course of history by bringing this amazing announcement to those men. And I just feel like, no, I just know there are so many people who are so down on themselves for mistakes they've made, for the things they've done, for the jobs that they have to work or the jobs they're forced to work. And Lord, if there's anybody here today who feels down about themselves, whose society has said you are no good, you can't show up at church, God has no interest in your life and the way that you live your life and the things that you're doing, I pray that today, Lord, that you would go to them. That they would know that you came to this earth specifically to reach them and minister to them exactly where they are. Lord, that you would lift them up, that you encourage them during this time of Christmas, God, to know that the message of Jesus is for every single person. Lord, and those of us who have been a benefit uh, of your grace and your forgiveness for so many years, Lord, help us to never lose sight of who we were, of what you've done in our lives. Lord, and empower us, particularly during this season, to reach out to those who have been pushed aside, to come alongside them and let them know that we love them and that you love them. We thank you for Jesus and his gift of forgiveness. And we ask all this in your son's name. Amen.